several weeks and potentially a few months. Um, going to be hopefully working through a series with um, our church about why we believe what we believe. You know, what are all these things that distinguish us as followers of Jesus Christ in terms of what we believe? Uh, there's a lot of different beliefs out there and a lot of different ways of approaching things. And what, what makes a follower of Jesus Christ distinct in their belief and in their, their doctrine and understanding of things? You know, we say the Apostles' Creed every Sunday. And it might even just roll off your lips and your tongue. Um, <clears throat> and we might even wonder, why do we say that? <laughs> and... There are a number of reasons, but it's really important for us to know why we believe what we believe. It's important for us to say together as a church community, what are the core beliefs of our faith as followers of Jesus Christ? Because it's an encouragement to us. It reminds us of the truths found in scripture, and it's a guard against heresy. You know, if we say every Sunday... Um, you know, born of the Virgin Mary, <laughs> and then someone comes along and says, well, Mary wasn't a virgin, and Jesus really wasn't born of, of a virgin, and, and we can say, that might kind of check against our spirit and say, wait a minute, that's different than what we say every week. It's different from what's in Holy Scripture. I mean, that's kind of a blatant, obvious example, but by lifting up the beliefs that we have in the creed as core, and our core beliefs as followers of Christ, when something comes down the road, that doesn't align with Holy Scripture, it should catch with us. And we should say, wait a minute. What does Scripture really have to say about that? We go back to the Bible. We go back to God's Word as the standard for why we believe what we believe. Um, <clears throat> we are going to go in order through the Creed, but I'm starting by going out of order today. <laughs> Because we're in the Easter season and we're, we're kind of close to Easter still. And um, today, with the scriptures that we have and whatnot, we're going to take a look at those phrases. Um, the resurrection of the dead and the life everlasting. You know, the resurrection of the body, the life everlasting. Do we really believe that? We say it every Sunday. Do we really believe that this isn't it? That there is everlasting life for those who are following Jesus Christ, who have believed on him for salvation. Do we really believe that there's resurrection of the body? Some of you are nodding. <laughs> so the question today is, uh, if a person dies, will they live again? Take a little look at that, all right? Um, <clears throat> there are a few different positions that tend to be common when you talk to people about this, whether they're a Christian or not a Christian. Um, some people say, no, once you die, that's it. Your body goes in the ground, you cease to exist. You know, put in a crass way, your worm food. That's it. No more, no nothing. You only go around once, so grab all you can on the way by. Right? That's what that leads to. If this is all there is, then it really makes a person live for themselves. And uh, 
have a lack of regard for others and, and certainly no interest in looking at God, looking at our creator and understanding his plan. Um, if you have Bibles, uh, we are going to look at a few different scriptures today. It would be great if you had your Bible um, because we want to look at why we believe what we believe. We're going to be turning to the scriptures to understand why we believe what we believe. And we're going to start in the Old Testament a little bit. So Ecclesiastes, it's on page 1209 in my Bible. <laughs> um, <clears throat> okay, It's to the right of Psalms slightly. If you don't know where that is, where you can find Psalms. Just go in the middle somewhere and then go to the right a little bit and you'll find Ecclesiastes. Chapter 12 and verse 7. And the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, all is vanity. You heard this one before? <laughs> Maybe? Okay. So this is another way of approaching things, another belief that um, dust, our bodies go to the earth, and the spirit returns to God who created it. Um, and there are some folks that believe that it doesn't matter what you believe, that you will have eternal life with God. It's a universal approach to looking at salvation and that uh, they believe that Christ's work on the cross was universally redemptive, requiring no action or part of us at all to reach out in faith and to trust God. So on one hand, you've got, you know, nothing's going to happen. There is nothing after this. My body goes in a hole in the ground and that's it. And then on the other side, you've got, it doesn't matter what I do or what I say or what I believe, whether or not I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, my body is going to be resurrected and I'm going to be with God forever, no matter what. Scripture, however, is pretty clear that we need to believe on Jesus Christ, that we need to trust him, and that eternal life with him is a gift from God through Jesus Christ and is only given to us through Christ when we trust him, when we believe on him. And we're going to look at the scriptures that outline that very clearly for us. So, we need to go back to Genesis, briefly. That's at the very beginning of your Bible, okay? So, um, <clears throat> Genesis chapter 2, and verse 7. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. And the Lord planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then skipping ahead to verse 15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. 
Now, I won't, I won't um, go through the whole rest of the account because we probably are familiar with it. We know what happened. We know that Adam and Eve used the freedom that God had given them to disobey God and to sin, right? So what do they do? They go and do the one thing they were told not to do. There were, in fact, two trees in the garden. They could have eaten from the tree of life, and instead they went for the tree of knowledge of good and evil, right? Um, <clears throat> they were tempted by Satan. They wanted to be like God, knowing good from evil, and they went for it. And so, you know, God takes them, casts them out of the garden. He posts a, a cherubim with a flaming sword there to prevent them from going back into the garden. And it says, lest he eat of the tree of life and live forever. So sin enters, and God prevents them from going back into the garden, lest they eat of the tree of life and live forever. So Adam and Eve, and as a result, all mankind died spiritually when they sinned, right? So there's physical death, and there's spiritual death. They died spiritually. They didn't die physically at that moment, right? Um, <clears throat> God said, when you eat of this, you'll surely die. Well, they kept living. So it wasn't the physical death that had occurred immediately. It was spiritual death. It was separation from God. But physical death is the result of spiritual death. Okay? There was not supposed to be physical death. Sickness, you know, illness, pain. None of that stuff was a part of the original plan in that respect. It entered when sin entered because we had some freedom on whether or not we were going to obey or disobey God. So physical death is the result of spiritual death. Romans tells us that death entered the world through sin. Man forfeits his opportunity to eternal life by doing this. And so those who come to God through Jesus Christ are given the gift of eternal life. And it is God alone who has it. And it is God's alone to be able to give. To be born of the Spirit is to receive that gift of life. So, man in his natural condition is dead to God. There is not a spark of the divine in each of us. You know, we are separated from God and dead in our sins. Um, you know, there are those that believe that the trees are part of God and the rocks are part of God and I'm part of God and your cat is part of God and, you know, all this stuff. But it's not the case. Uh, that's an extra biblical way of looking at things. <laughs> um, <clears throat> we are dead in our sin and in our trespasses until we are brought to life by Jesus Christ. Uh, John chapter 3, you all think I'm going to verse 16, but I'm not. Uh, verse 14, John 3, 14. How do we know that we need to believe on Christ for eternal life, that that is the only way for it? 3, 14, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Believing on Jesus Christ is the only way to experience eternal life with God. Have you ever looked at ambulances and, and seen the symbol of the, 
the serpent on the pole and whatnot, that's, rem that's coming from this, okay? So the serpents were biting people, and if you were bitten, you were going to die. And um, so God had Moses set up the serpent on the pole, and whoever looked at it would be saved. And this is drawing our attention back to that. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, be lifted up, that whosoever believes in him may have eternal life. So eternal life is not the natural property of all people, but it is the gift of God. And believing on Christ results in this gift of eternal life being given. So let's take a little journey now in the Gospel of, of John, a little further in chapter 6, if you would. Since you're already in 3, it's kind of close. Chapter 6. Jesus is teaching. He has um, just fed 5,000, okay? And his disciples are trying to process what they've just seen. <laughs> They're pretty amazed. And Jesus walks out to them um, on the water. And then he says to them in 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Skipping to verse 40. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. So looking and believing. Now we're talking about eternal life, right? And then Jesus goes on and says, and I will raise him up on the last day. Now we're starting to talk about the resurrection of the body a little bit. It's getting interesting, okay? So Jesus goes on in verse 50. And says, I am the living bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Now, the disciples were kind of blown away by that. And, and you know, we're saying, what? <laughs> you know, and um, we're, we'll look at that a little bit more a different day. But Christ says, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. He says it again, I will raise him up on the last day. I believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. It's not some hope that we came up with. It's clearly in the pages of Scripture. Today's gospel lesson in John chapter 10, right? We're talking about Jesus, the good shepherd. Verse 27, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them from the father's hand. I am the father are one. My sheep hear my voice. I know them and I give them eternal life and they will never perish. Clearly eternal life coming from Jesus. I give them eternal life. 
How about uh, John chapter 11? There's another place that we can look at. Lazarus, I love this account. <laughs> it's so wonderful. So Jesus does all of this, raises Lazarus, right? And then he says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. It's a consistent message, eternal life, resurrection through Jesus Christ. This is the Christian hope. The fact that you and I have life the first time is a gift. Once sin enters, we're barred from the tree of life. Life now, instead of eating from the tree of life, comes through believing and accepting the gift of Jesus Christ. That's our tree of life. And apart from faith, nobody can receive this gift. Okay, 1 Corinthians 15. Okay, I know this is different today, but I, I want us to see where this is in Scripture so we really understand where it comes from. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, uh, the resurrection of the body. This is verse 35 now. If you have trusted in Christ and believed on him, you are going to have a different body. You are going to have a glorified body resurrected body someday. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same. There is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies. But the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is of another. 42. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown, this body, what is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. And as if that isn't clear enough, he goes on and says, It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. There will come a day when every last human being will see and understand what God has been doing. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. In heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Some will be bowing in honor and love. Others will be bowing because they will realize, oh man, I missed it. So the body is the kernel or the seed. This is just some perishable thing. It's sown in dishonor, but it will be raised in glory. What emerges is glorious and eternal. 
You know, there's a lot of talk about death with dignity, that sort of thing. Death is an indignity no matter when it happens or how it happens. It, death itself is an insult to life. God did not intend for us to taste death like that. Sin entered the world and through spiritual death came physical death. Death is an enemy, but it is an enemy that has been overcome. It's an offense to God. It's an offense to man. It's the cutting off of life that was intended to be lived as a praise to God. So what hope do we find in Scripture when we say those couple of little lines every Sunday? Right? Believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Contained within those two little phrases is looking ahead to a great and glorious time that is so fantastic we can't even fathom it right now. Death is the last enemy to be overcome. So when we say we believe in the resurrection of the body, it is not the resuscitation of your corpse. <laughs> you know, I realize that's blunt to say, but it is not, you know, this body that's going to be resuscitated and, you know, my ashes be gathered from wherever they get dumped or whatever the case may be. You know, it's a new and glorious body. It's a new creation that happens. A body like Jesus' body. Um, <clears throat> in verse 49 of that 1 Corinthians chapter 15, it says, Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, right? We bear the image of Adam in this body. So also... We bear the image of the man of heaven, Jesus Christ. So this body is temporary. Paul later on in 2 Corinthians calls it an earthly tent. It has the sense that, you know, we're camping here. <laughs> right? We're not uh, building our house here. We have a, a house in the heavens not made with hands. Right? 2 Corinthians chapter 5 is talking about that. The Bible does not support a heaven with these disembodied spirits floating around. Okay? Uh, we have new bodies that are coming. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be amazing. The resurrection of the dead and the life everlasting. When we die, the body goes into the ground and the spirit goes to the Lord. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So when do we see this tree of life thing again, right? We talked about it in Genesis chapter 2. Now, all the way to the end of the book. Revelation chapter 22. We had some beautiful scripture from Revelation today that we read. And here we are in chapter 22. And verse 14. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. The tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit bearing them in 12 different seasons. Blessed are those who wash their robes 
so whose sins have been taken away, who are clean in the eyes of God by believing on Jesus Christ, so that they may have the right to the tree of life and enter without shame, without fear, straight through the gates and right in to the presence of God. If someone dies, will he live again? Yes. If we are in Christ, blessed are those who are able to enter the city by the gates. I just want to close now with a little bit from the 23rd Psalm as we consider this. This is another one of those things that, you know, we often say at funerals or, um, but it's so familiar that it just rolls right off of our tongue. And yet, the Psalm 23 is a snapshot in just six verses of what it is to walk with the Lord in this life and pass from this life to the next. Starting at verse 4, Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You prepare a table. What is that reminiscent of? How about the table on the night that Christ was handed over to suffering and death? How about the table at the victory feast? On the other side of all of this, when we feast with our Lord at that heavenly banquet, and what are the enemies? You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. It's not that annoying person that irritates you, or the person in the other political party. The enemies are evil, sickness, and death. Death, the insult to God's gift of life. But Christ prepares the table of all of his wonder and glory in the face of death because death has been swallowed up in victory. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord. Father, when we become overwhelmed by life, when we become overwhelmed by sickness or grief, addiction, loss, when it seems like we live our days in the valley of the shadow of death, Lord, may you remind us through your grace and your glory that you prepare the table in the presence of all of that. And in spite of all of that, because you have conquered all of that through Jesus Christ. Lord, help us to believe on Christ. Help us to trust you. Help us to hear the voice of the Father drawing us that we might come to you. Help us to look forward to the day of resurrection when all that is lost will be restored. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.